thank you for joining us this evening, uh, in person and online, uh, for tonight's book talk on Abandoned Women and Boudoir Resentment, The Feminine Voice in Chinese Literature by Professor Chu Lei Hu from Hunter College. Uh, the book is about the studies, uh, studies the formation of the male-constructed conventional voice of women in Chinese literature from the 3rd and 6th century. Chile Hu is an adjunct professor at Hunter College CUNY. Professor Wu received her master's from Beijing University and PhD from the Harvard University. Uh, her areas of expertise include Chinese history, literature, and culture, uh, East Asian studies, Buddhism, and language instruction. Uh, she is the author of Abandoned Women, Boudoir Resentment, which was published by Brill this year in May 2023 and is available for purchase online. Uh, without further ado, Professor Hu. Thank you very much, Anthony, for the kind introduction. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you very much for being here on the Friday evening. Uh, I'm here to discuss my recently published book, Abandoned Women and uh, Boudoir Resentment, The Construction of the Feminine Voice in Early Medieval Chinese Literature. My plan for today is to first briefly introduce the main topics and research questions of my book, and then present material from my first chapter about the transformation of the image of the mulberry-picking mulberry girl and its connection to the rise of the feminine voice in Chinese literature. My book examines important tradition in classical Chinese literature, that is male writers writing in the voice of women, also known as uh, persona writing, yan in Chinese. Although men dominated the literary scene uh, in pre-modern China, and very few works uh, by women survived. This tradition of persona writing had existed, existed since the third century. The image of an abandoned woman and her Badua resentment, uh, that is the resentment and sorrow for the absent lover and loss of love, has long been considered quintessential features of uh, the male-constructed feminine voice. Um, they have a great influence on later Chinese literary representations of women as demonstrated in you know, all these studies, uh, uh, previous studies uh, in uh, both Chinese and English language. language. Um, the influence is also visible in the portrayal of women in other artistic uh, forms. For example, in these paintings, uh, dating from the 10th century to 19th century, uh, women are depicted in the perpetual uh, state of ennui and longing in the inner chamber or private garden. Such images of women in traditional China are still prevalent, prevalent in contemporary pop culture, which often fall into stereotypes of neglected housewives and palace ladies. Um, so here uh, are just a few examples, uh, you're probably familiar with them, uh, of a very popular type of period TV drama uh, in China, uh, that's, that is palace intrigues, gongdou, about how palace ladies compete for the emperor's favor. Recently there have been some uh, attempts to create uh, strong, vengeful, and manipulative female characters, but their stories still center on romantic longings and competition for the uh, uh, for male attention. Uh, abandonment and resentment are still central plots in their stories. Since around the 2000s, uh, along with a general interest in the uh, underrepresented. Uh, groups in pre-modern China, scholars have uh, started to investigate surviving works of women writers for authentic literary voices of women and women's agency as writers. But most, most studies focus on, focus on much later periods, um, that is in the 14th to 19th century, uh, also known as the late imperial China, when the availability uh, of printing technology and a thriving uh, published publishing industry made the preservation of women's writings possible. Um, these studies got me thinking, if later women struggled to find their own voices 
outside of the received tradition of abandoned women and boudoir resentment. When and how did this tradition first come into being? Under what social and cultural circumstances? Why did male literati assume a woman's voice in their writing in the first place? And why did they choose abandonment and resentment as the stereotypical uh, feminine voice? So these questions are the beginning of my inquiry uh, that results in the current book. So here, uh, it is worth noting here that uh, most surviving literary works in women's voices from the time period discussed in my book were written by men. I make a distinction between the female voice, which is the voice of uh, biological women, and the feminine voice, which is the male-constructed voice of women. This distinction is not always clear-cut, but it's useful in thinking about the formation of the literary voice of women in male writing. What and why uh, certain behaviors, emotions, and expressions are considered feminine in literary writing is a social and cultural construct rather than a bio biological given. So my book argues that the formation of the conventional feminine voice in Chinese literature took place in early medieval period, that is from 3rd to 6th century, a time of political division after the collapse of the unified Han Empire. This chaotic time witnessed many significant cultural and literary changes, including the emergence of individual authorship, the rise of a new poetic genre, new understanding and of the nature and function of literary writing, um, and a collective interest among literati in organizing received texts and narrating the literary past. My book demonstrates how these cultural and literary contexts affected the formation of the feminine voice. In the meantime, the rich um, diversity in the representation of women's images and voices before the third century was largely reduced into stereotypes of abandoned women and boudoir resentment. My book highlights crucial moments during these three centuries that gave rise to the feminine voice in literature and shaped its main characteristics. So now allow me to uh, shift gears and discuss a specific example to illustrate the construction of the feminine voice about a transformation, the transformation of a popular female image, the Marbury-picking girl, in writings of third century literati. This image appears in many earlier literary works as an object of sensual desire and dangerous distraction for men on their normal, righteous path. I will show you a version of her, uh, actually the most uh, famous one, uh, in the Han Dynasty song for music performance. Then we'll see how third century literati, writes, write, literati writers uh, rewrote the image to quote-unquote fix uh, what was seen as moral problems. They reshaped the girl into a proper and chaste wife, longing for her husband in the inner chamber, and turned the focus from her external beauty to her inner thoughts and feelings, and finally gave her a voice. The potential harm a female beauty could bring to a man's cultural cult cultivation is a common concern uh, in classical Confucian texts. Confucius himself declares, uh, actually twice in the Analects, that he has never seen anyone who is as fond of virtue as he is of beauty. 
In the book of Mencius, a king bluntly admits to Mencius that he suffers from the ailment of quote-unquote fondness of female beauty, uh, which has gotten in the way uh, of his governance of the state. Historical accounts such as the Zuo tradition, Zuo Zhuan, and uh, biographies of exemplary women, Dian Yu Zhuan, contain no shortage of cautionary tales about the dire consequences brought upon uh, a state and its people by the ruler's indulgence in sensual beauty. The display of female beauty in literature has induced similar unease and anxiety. This moral anxiety, I argue, uh, lies in uh, the theatrical display of the female beauty and the presence of the sensualizing male gaze, a concept I borrow from feminist film theory, in particular Laurel Mulvey's writings. Um, I differentiate between two different types of the male gaze, namely the sensualizing gaze the centralizing gaze that treats the women as pure objects of desire and the sympathetic gaze that seeks identification with the women. As an effort to annihilate the moral anxiety associated with the portrayal of women, there was a visible tendency in the third century literary works to downplay or remove the centralizing gaze from the scene and to turn the focus away from the woman's body to her inner world. In addition to reduce eroticism, this shift of focus also leaves room for the writer to project, project his empathy rather than sensual desire toward the represented woman. The emergence of this uh, uh, synthetic gaze was the main reason behind male literati's assumption of the woman's voice to express uh, her, of course, her in quotation marks, uh, thoughts and feelings. So the Han Dynasty anonymous song, Marbury's by the Path, Mo Shang Sang, belongs to the so-called music bureau poetry, uh, these are songs with folk roots that were collected by court officials and preserved in the court music repertoire. The song describes uh, an encounter with a beautiful mulberry-picking girl. Um, this is a very long poem, and I will discuss it in sections. And here I use the translation by Stephen Owen, uh, Stephen Owen with my own minor uh, modifications. Um, and you can see here the uh, Chinese text, original texts are listed on the left side and English translation on the right side of the screen. Um, so at the beginning of uh, uh, the Marbury's by the Path, a narrator's voice introduces its protagonist, Luo Fu. Uh, she's uh, um, a daughter of the House of Qin. And she's portrayed here with a detailed listing of clothing items and accessories with a distinct focus on the theatrical display of her beauty. Uh, so she picks, we're told, she picks mulberry leaves for silkworms in the south of the city wall. Uh, so here she picks mulberry leaves south of the city wall, clearly visible to the public. We see the beautiful decorations on her basket, basket, oh, on her basket, uh, and uh, on its handle, and uh, her uh, uh, beautiful hairstyle, and the pearls in her ears. Uh, and also, we are told her skirt below and her vest above are both made of bright colored silk. Um, and the next section uh, turns to, de to describe the effects of her beauty on her beholders, uh, including passers-by uh, and man, young men, uh, and men at the plow, men with the hoe. Uh, so all the um, 
all men watching, uh, witnessing the beauty of uh, Luo Fu. They all forgot what they were supposed to do at the sight of Luo Fu and complained in anger when they came home. Uh, so the poem says, uh, when they go home, there are always complaints and anger, all because of gazing at Luo Fu. They didn't do, uh, uh, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Uh, the characters Jian uh, and Guan here, the characters in blue. Sorry. Okay. Uh, both meaning to see, to gaze at, are used repeatedly in these lines. The gaze gives rise to illicit desire and makes the man forget their duties. Uh, it is oh, it is also worth noting that the character of forgetting here, uh, Wang, literally means the loss of the rectified heart or mind, a major violation of Confucian principles. Luo Fu's exposure to the centralizing gaze leads to disastrous consequences. The next section singles out one beholder, a Lord Governor, Shi Jun, who, attend, who attempts to make Luo Fu the object of his desire exclusively. The Lord Governor, here we are told, um, came from the south and stopped when he saw Luo Fu. He sent a clerk to learn about her name and then asked her, so toward the end of the slide, would you like to ride with me? As a result of the ex exposure of Luo Fu's beauty to the male gaze, the governor's aggressive move poses a threat to the existing order. The governor wants to turn Luo Fu from an object of collective fantasy to his private property. And this would end the game of seduction and desire at the center of the poem. Luo Fu, in the final section of the song, identifies herself as someone's wife with a long monologue. Um, yet her description of a husband fails to offer a solid rejection to the governor's advance. In this long monologue, Luo Fu told the governor about her husband, who started his uh, civil service in the early age, at the age of 15. Uh, so it's this section in blue. Um, and quickly climbed the social ladder until he became uh, the master of a city. This husband, according to Luo Fu, also has impressive appearance and admirable demeanor. So she elaborates on the luxurious accessories he wears and the elegant manner in which he walks. This dashing image of the husband has puzzled many later readers. Some found incredible the apparent elite status of the husband, since Luo Fu's cultural activities by the roadside indicate a lower social status. I read the husband as a male counterpart to Luo Fu herself. Luo Fu's response does not deliver a convincing or even believable re reason for her rejection, but instead reinforces theatricality and the centralizing gaze with another round of display of male beauty. Just as the third person narrator introduces her to a group of male beholders at the beginning of the poem, the dazzling appearance of her counterpart draws the attention of the beholding eyes of um, quote-unquote several thousand men uh, in the seat. With this new object of the centralizing gaze, this poem manages to sustain its audience desire from the beginning to the end. Her quote-unquote rejection is not meant to end the game of seduction and desire, but rather to sustain it. Most importantly, the assumption of Luo Fu's voice in this part of the poem does not result in the adoption of her viewpoint or access to her inner world. The poem ends here 
with the women taking full control of the seductive game. The loss of moral order, that is the illicit advance of the governor, and the loss of social order, that is the governor being ridiculed by a mulberry-picking girl, remains unsolved. Building on the observations by the 18th century art critic, Diderot, the art historian Michael Fried suggests an important transformation in the depiction of female figures in French paintings from the mid-1750s to early 1780s. Painters such as Jacques Dan, uh, Gruss, and Garlet Van Loo began, began to depict beautiful women uh, in a state of complete absorption and total oblivion to the presence of a beholder. They did so to avoid any erotic overtone and to convey a genuinely empathic feeling towards the painted object. This practice was a direct response to the earlier Rococo tradition in which female human figures, especially attractive women, were exhibited as if they were on stage and fully aware of being the object of beholding eyes. So in this uh, passage from the book, uh, Fried argues that uh, Diderot saw uh, here the very condition of spect spectatordom indicates theatricality, dislocation, and estrangement uh, as opposed to absorption, sympathy, and self-transcendence. Diderot believes that uh, the success of painting depends on uh, here, de-theatricalizing, it's a mouthful, uh, beholding, so that it can become uh, a mode of access to truth and conviction. And this requires the creation of a new sort of object who is ob oblivious of the presence of beholders, and a new sort of beholder who must be absent from the scene of representation. So here I give you some examples of uh, what Fried uh, uh, means by this uh, uh, trans uh, transition. So in these two paintings, in a distinct Rococo st style, the painter uh, Francois Boucher depicts human figures in a stage-like manner. Uh, especially in the portrait on the right, the woman is staring directly at the viewers, right? And uh, is clearly aware of her being, uh, being the object of their gaze. So even if she appears to play with this little bird perching on her finger, her entire attention is given to the potential viewers of the painting rather than you know anything else, including the, the, the bird uh, in the picture. So um, in contrast, the characters in these two paintings um, by Chardin and Gruz, uh, respectively, are fully occupied uh, with an activity or emotion. Even the way they are positioned indicates, uh, indicates uh, that they are not paying attention to their viewers, right? They are completely absorbed uh, in what they are doing at the moment. So in Diderot's view, these two paintings successfully uh, are more successful in conveying genuine, fe genuine feelings of the depicted characters. By depicting characters in an absorbed state, the artist could convince the audience of the authenticity and sincerity in their actions and emotions. This dialectic between theatricality and sincerity lends helpful insights into uh, to my own study. The portrayal of Luo Fu in The Marbury's by the Path shows much theatricality and leaves little or no room for sympathy or reflection. The governor is the opposite of Fried's ideal beholder 
who must appear absent from the scene of representation. His abrupt intrusion into the world of Luo Fu accentuates its theatricality and causes disturbance. To avoid theatricality and eroticism, there has been a tendency since the third century male writers' representations of women to create a new sort of object as well as a new sort of beholder. Like what Fritz um, observed, observes in uh, the 18th century French paintings, these writers shifted the focus from the theatrical display of women's external appearance to their inner thoughts, weakened the centralizing gaze, and created more sympathetic and invisible beholders. Um, they represent women as objects of sympathy and gave them a voice and subjectivity. So for example, Fu Xuan, the third century literati, uh, his ballad, The Prelude, uh, Yan Ge Xing, starts in a very similar way as the Marbury, uh, Marbury's by the past, uh, but made a twist to the original poem. Um, and here I use the translation by Joseph Allen with my uh, modifications. So the beginning of the poem uh, notably removed the section about Luo Fu's mulberry-picking activities by the roadside, which scholars argue is to elevate her social status. But it also avoids her exposure to the crowd and their gaze and reduces the theatricality in her portrayal. Instead of through the lens of a watching crowd, Luo Fu's beauty is described in an abstract way with a reference to a famous earlier poem about a beautiful lady uh, in this section I mark in red. So with one look, she topples both court and market. With a second, um, the state becomes a wasteland. Uh, so it's rather abstract uh, way of description. Um, the narrative elements about eager beholders of Luo Fu's beauty is rendered is also rendered figurative by the next few lines that place Luo Fu behind a hinged gate. Uh, so here the poem reads, uh, you know, as where the girl li lives, its hall stands south of the city wall. So instead of uh, Luo Fu herself picking marble leaves south of the city wall, in this poem, she is locked behind the gate of a great hall located in south of the city wall. Um, and it almost seems illogical in the next section when a governor enters the scene and invites her for a ride. Yet, Luo Fu, uh, yet the, the poet Fu Xuan here is still able to remove the centralizing gaze um, in this section by confining the communication to that between Luo Fu and a clerk, a messenger. Um, in the Han Dynasty song, the clerk comes on stage only to ask about Luo Fu's name, and the rest of the interaction is with the governor. In this poem, in Fu Xuan's poem, the clerk had a conversation with Luo Fu on behalf of the governor. Um, in the earlier poem, Luo Fu is not afraid to confront the governor and even steps forward, Qian, when she speaks up. Here she acts with modesty and restraint and kneels in respect, uh, so Chang Gui here, uh, to answer the unsolicited uh, invitation. The poem also ends with Luo Fu's monologue. Uh, so here, uh, Lord Governor, how extraordinary are your words. The Lord Governor has a wife of your own, and I, your humble servant, have a lowly husband. Heaven and earth give each other, uh, give each their proper place. I hope you will, my Lord, change your plans. 
So here, Luo Fu's rejection of the governor is not just short, but also modest. She refers to herself and her husband humbly, and evokes Confucian ritual pro,、uh, propriety by comparing the relationship of husband-wife with that of heaven-earth. Yet, important, more importantly, she leaves out all the elaborate. Bragging about her husband's appearance and demeanor, despite its terseness, her rejection is much firmer and more convincing than it is in the Marbury's by the Pass. In sum, the Luo Fu of Marbury's by the Pass is constantly stepping forward. She steps forward into a public space. She steps forward toward the centralizing male gaze. And she steps forward again to face and talk to the governor. In contrast, Fu Xuan's Luo Fu here in this third-century poem keeps stepping back to avoid exposure and confrontation. She steps back from the public space into a locked chamber. She steps back from the clerk bearing the governor's invitation, and eventually. She steps back from illicit desire and the male gaze. All the stepping back constitutes the poet's attempt to gain, quote, access to truth and conviction, unquote, to borrow Fried's words. Yet it must be noted here that it is not truth and conviction about the woman herself, but only as she is perceived by the male literary author Fu Xuan. While gaining a voice and subjectivity of a proper and loyal wife, Luo Fu lost her power to manipulate her beholders and to control the game game of seduction. So the following story about the composition of Marbury's by the Pass is from the third third century writer Cui Bao,、uh, and from his book Commentary on the Past and Present.、Um, the story goes. Marbury's by the Pass was written by a woman from the House of Qin. The House of Qin originated in Handan and had a da- daughter named Luo Fu, who was married to Wang Ren, her fellow townsman from Qiansheng. Wang Ren later served Prince Zhao as his household provisioner. When Luo Fu went out to pick Marbury leaves by the Pass, Prince Zhao saw her from a terrace and took delight in her. Thereupon, he prepared a banquet and wanted to take her by force. Luo Fu was skillful at pl- playing the zither. Therefore, she composed the song "Marbury's by the Pass" to elucidate herself. Prince Zhao then stopped. This account provides many details that are not found anywhere else to locate Luo Fu within a social and familial structure. And justify her exposure to male beholders. She has a husband with a name and an official title. The husband's position as Prince Zhao's household provisioner conveniently explains her encounter with the prince. There is no viewing crowd in the pass where she picks mulberry leaves. Luo Fu does not intend. To attract the attention of beholders, but is accidentally spotted by the prince from a high terrace. This setup also indicates that Luo Fu, absorbed by with her sericultural duties, could not have noticed the presence of the centralizing gaze. This contextual story fixed the problem of Luo Fu's self-conscious and theatrical display of her beauty. At the expense of deviating from the source poem in many details, more importantly, the account describes the poem as Luo Fu's self-elucidation, 自明 turning the focus of representation to her subjectivity and suggesting Luo Fu to be the author. Compared with the mulberry-picking girls in the Han Dynasty song, these third-century re- reconstructions. Portray a woman who is seen as opposed to a woman who deliberately exhibits herself. Readers are encouraged to identify with the woman and to sympathize with her thoughts, rather than 
to identify with her male beholders in the poem and to centralize her beauty, her her body. Okay, so in conclusion, in the third century literati's uh, rewritings of the uh, Mulberry Picking Girl, the elimination of the theatrical display and the centralizing gaze helps transform women from objects of sensual desire to those of sympathy, and the speaker from the desiring beholder to her empathizer. The creation of this new kind of gaze and new kind of object turns the representation of women into a movement for lyric reflection and contemplation and justifies it morally. It should be noted that the subjectivity and voice of women were constructed by male writers to reflect their ideas and ideals. Even though it is no longer her body and appearance, the focus of representation is still not her authentic voice or uh, interiority, but something or someone that she is made to symbolize. Um, for example, an allegorical connection is often made between the image of the abandoned woman and that of a minister who is not appreciated by his lord yet stay loyal to him. This minister, not surprisingly, is often the male poet himself. The woman's voice does not belong to her, but is made to echo the poetic speaker's voice. Ironically, by providing the women with a literary voice and subjectivity, male writers reshaped the dangerous women in early literature with their own ideas about proper womenly behavior and emotion and made her easily available to project the male writer's own thoughts and sentiments. Okay, that's all I have for today. Thank you for your attention. And uh, I welcome comments and questions. And is it those to make the change of global instead of male self-reflection? Is there any social dynamic to make people uh, uh, change the source of, of women? Change the... Change the source of women. Change uh, their view of women. Oh, hmm. Uh, you mean like in terms of... Uh, women's social status at the time? Yeah, well, um, there might be. Uh, the, the, the problem is we know very little about uh, uh, actual women's uh, social status from that period. There is a very little, uh, uh, you know, written records about that. Uh, and uh, it might play a role uh, but it's just uh, very hard to, to know with limited uh, resources. I wonder, um, do you have any guess of why the like, minister used abandoned woman's voice to channel his own political frustration mm -hmm. and underappreciation by well, first of all, it's a, like a power uh, differential, right? It's the same power dynamic. Uh, uh, it's, you know, superiority to inferiority, right? Uh, and uh, of course, in this particular period, uh, and I actually discuss it in my book, uh, there are some uh, actual, you know, concrete uh, historical uh, contexts about, you know, how, uh, for example, I use, uh, I discuss the uh, Jian literature, uh, literature, you know, Jian uh, poetic writings uh, in the court of the Cao Wei, uh, and there is, uh, um, yeah, there is a trend, a tendency for Jian literati to uh, write about women, but uh, actually, you know, entrust their own feelings, uh, not just about rulers, but also about uh, their 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 peers through the writing of, uh, uh, of female um, images, female characters. Uh, but yeah, I think the, 
the 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 simple answer would be short answer would be the power dynamic you know mimic each other right but there are also of course in different uh specific time periods there are uh different reason people uh employ this kind of feminine voice i'm just curious about the illustrations you were using i i, I, I just said you have a wonderful illustration on the cover of your book <laughs> But I was wondering uh, if you included a discussion of that painting in your book. <laughs> That's a very good question, yes. Uh, because the points you are making, I think, are, are very relevant actually in the discussion of this very painting. Mm. Because this is a painting about you know, how court ladies were kind of, I don't know, your, your interpretation of the very, very concept of abandonment. But uh, there is a, a one section of this painting where the emperor is uh, reaching his hand out to stop, you know, one of his court ladies. Um, I don't know. Just curious if you, that might be relevant in your discussion of the abandonment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, this this painting, the the authenticity of it is still like debatable, right? Whether this is the the, 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 the original uh, work of uh, fourth, third century, third, third century uh, 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 artist. Um, but, you know, I, actually, uh, the way I see it, because they, 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 uh, they, this whole series of painting depicts women engaging in all sorts of activities, right? Not just uh, uh, putting on makeup, not just, uh, uh, you know, longing for the lover. They are, there are women who making records, uh, writing on the paper. There are women who uh, are instructing other women about like a, a women in virtue. Uh, so this kind of dep depiction uh, uh, is less, is seen less and less in later, uh, later paintings. Is that because I'm not an art historian? Well, so the I. The of this painting is uh, not very questionable, but the, the dating is a little questionable. Oh, okay. But the authenticity is authentic work, but mm -hmm. the dating was it, was it proper enough from who had just time? Might be a Tang Dynasty and Song Dynasty. Yeah. But then the the content of this painting. Is believed to be based on the on the writing from Yes. So that piece of writing actually gives a more diverse image images of women than you know what we saw in later, uh, for example, early medieval poetry. Like women are mostly abandoned and resentful, right? So these uh, women depicted in these paintings are not necessarily abandoned women. Uh, so my uh, basically one of my arguments is uh, this diversity in the portrayal of women in earlier periods um, was reduced over time throughout the early medieval period because of the rise of this male constructed uh, 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 feminine voice in literature and they probably also in, had an impact on other artistic forms including painting. So we don't see this kind of uh, female images in painting that much in later. You also showed a painting right? from a, you know, attributed to a time dynasty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So those are and more like yeah, more you know, women longing for lovers, right? They are that they they, they, they they have nothing better to do but missing and longing uh, for someone absent. Yeah. Are these writings, are they supposed to be for women to know how to conduct themselves, like to have kind of a template, or are these meant for men to read and think of the ideal woman? That's a very good question. Uh, well, of course, the, the target audience, most of them are men, because, you know, women, not a lot of women uh, were literate at the time, and they couldn't read, right, or write. Uh, but of course, there are uh, aristocratic, uh, you know, elite women who learned to read and write, and they 
through this kind of poems. So this male constructed uh, uh, women's voice actually influenced women's own writing later on. Uh, and that's at the beginning I mentioned, you know, um, in later periods, like when women started to, uh, to write, more women started to write literature and they gradually developed or discovered their own authentic voices, kind of outside of this uh, you know, established, like, culturally sanctioned voice of, voices of women, but they were actually you know, uh, uh, constructed by men, right? Uh, yeah, very good question. I want to double confirm that your title will be uh, within the period in uh, traditional philosophy in kingdom in the six dynasties, right? I think it, yeah. Because the definition of an early medieval could be very... Oh, yeah. Right? And then once crossed the line of Sui and the town and totally different stage, totally different, right? So it's yeah. three places during the time. Because I was, you know, before I uh, somehow curious about the time, mm. all the, all kinds of very actually rich uh, literature and poems pieces about women, right? Mm. From the physical attraction to you know moral teaching like this. Mm. And one more interesting is I can't haven't seen your book yet, but I look at them uh, uh, the uh, division, you know, different chapters. You may have a some chapter. Uh, Do you talk about their uh, status, the different points? Like the first one, the folklore, right? Obviously, it's a you know more for um, the urban uh, middle class or reading public. But then you see Wang Chan or. Uh, you know, Jian An. A lot of uh, people actually working for the king, Cao 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 himself is yeah, yeah. a Cao Zhi, the, the prince. Court, court right, writers. really uh, yeah. you know, elites. Yeah. Right? And even emperors, the, you know, Xiao Kang, they did yeah. the right. So uh, I think that when we explain their success, could be very different. Yeah. <laughs> right? The purpose, I mean, uh, you know, if a, if a king wrote something, right, we believe it's a moral uh, teaching you mm -hmm. want to put in the story. Mm. And if a, if a, a grassroots writer, <laughs> bohemian, or be different purpose. Now I'm yeah. curious, you talk about that. That's right, yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, you, you mentioned the, the first poem, right? Mo Shang Sang. Yeah. It's a Yue Fu Shi, a so-called music bureau uh, poem. Um, yes, it might have a like a kind of a folk root, uh, but this kind of type of uh, poems were either, you know, collected by court officials or even composed, written by court officials. And they were performed in court. And uh, their audience are all, like, were all elite members of the court. That's why we have them, right? There, I'm sure there were real folk literature, folk writings transmitted orally, but we just didn't have a record of them. So filtered it down. Yeah, so in a way, you know, these are all meant for elite audience. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So basically, are actually uh, upper upper class. Yeah. yeah. Male, male because you know that's the only on, only way we, we, we have that's we have them now, right? Yeah, that was from Wenxuan, I guess, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. Then it's, it's selection. Yeah, yeah and also uh, Yu Tai Xinu is all right. It's from very yeah. elite uh, to the taste. Mm -hmm. yes. mm -hmm. Question of online. Yuanbo Chui, California, says uh -huh. great book and presentation. Uh, Notice in your book all the translation of poems is literal translation, word by word, not dynamic influence. <laughs> uh, what's your consideration? Mm. Well, I guess my consideration is mostly to show, uh, you know, to. Uh, I try to preserve the original meaning of the poem. Uh, right, but at the same time, I also, you know, in, in the, I, I quote some uh, uh, some uh, other people's translations, uh, and sometimes I translate uh, poems myself. But whenever I do it myself, I try to, uh, uh, of course, to it's still a poem. I try to convey the poetic elements, but at the same time, um, I would like to preserve the original meanings because you know that's that 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 I want to show how uh, for example I want to show how an image was depicted differently uh, in a different poem I have to show uh, how it's, it's done right uh, by really lay out uh, uh, the actual structure and the working of the words uh, so yeah I guess that's 
that's why I tend to uh, kind of leaning more towards more literal uh, translation. And just a question in terms of process. Uh, when did you get started and how long the editing process to get it published? Mm. So this, this book is orig originally based on my dissertation, okay, which uh, was submitted in the year of 2011. <laughs> uh, and uh, of course, I, I worked on it uh, on and off. It's not like I spend all 10 years every day on it. Uh, but um, yeah, I worked on it. And then uh, for the entire publishing process, I would say it's probably two, two years uh, um, uh, since uh, the submission of it to the publisher. So did you have more material that you had to cut down yeah. after the editor? Yeah. Well, so from the dissertation to uh, the actual book manuscript, I cut down a few chapters and I added, uh, uh, of course, first of all, I, I added the introduction part. So kind of giving a uh, summary of the arguments and the structure, you know, my method and everything approach. Uh, so that part I have to come up with. Uh, and then I wrote like two different, two new chapters. Uh, so it's uh, it's based on the dissertation, but it has, you know, changed uh, over time, over the, 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 the 10 years. <laughs> yeah. The new more a new uh very uh, critically important new material discovered, right? I no, you talk archaeological archaeological <laughs> discovered, <laughs> not from this period. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> very stable. <laughs> <laughs> no surprise. Thank you very much, Professor Hu, for a wonderful presentation. Uh, once again, you can purchase the hardcover and e-book of Abandoned Women and Boudoir Resentment for $106 from the Brill website. Uh, the link is available online on Professor Hu's talk webpage. And with that, enjoy the rest of your Friday evening. Remember to be an upstander if you see a fellow person in need. Enjoy Veterans Day as well as Diwali this weekend. Thank you very much. Good night. Yeah.